Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So this morning, uh, I thought we could talk through, kind of go any direction here, but uh, the the word tension came to mind when I was thinking about our topic. And uh, I, I'm, I've been resonating with that word a lot lately. Uh, as I've seen it in different different relationships, both at home and work. And I recall you and I talked about tension and, and you helped reframe a long time ago, what the work-life balance was. And at that time, you mentioned, you know, balance isn't, isn't the best word, but tension is a better word because we hold things in tension and there are maybe healthy tensions and, and unhealthy tensions. And since then, I've, I've started to see them in other places. So an example might be at, at work where one, one colleague is you know, represents the customer, I represent engineering, and there's just a, there's a natural tension where they're pulling for the needs of the customer, I'm pulling for the needs of the team, um, and that's okay. That's a healthy tension. It can become unhealthy, certainly. Um, and so that's, I think, a very simple example, but I, I've noticed that in other relationships as well, like sometimes with uh, other friends or, or, or spouses. And uh, I think it's just been an interesting observation that's been helpful for me in, in working through that. But I'm curious if you have thoughts in particular. My question is, how do we become more mindful of when that tension becomes unhealthy? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. One we'll take a few moments to think about today. Uh, I'm going to refer listeners. Uh, hey, you three, wake up. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. So there are three <laughs> listeners here to... Uh, Matthew Crawford, I think, has got a book that's very easy to read. It's called The World Beyond Your Head, Not Becoming an Individual in an Age of Distraction. So Crawford's an interesting person. There's that word we don't like, interesting. It's nonsensical. He's, I think he's insightful. Uh, and his book, Shop Class as Soulcraft, was uh, particularly helpful for a lot of people. In fact, I read, Pat, that there's actually been an increase this past year or two in shop classes coming back to high schools. Really? And in, so any in particular public high area? schools. No, it just was kind of an overall. Huh. And uh, so that's a good book, uh, Shop Classes, Soulcraft. Uh, Crawford now is attached to the Institute for Advanced Studies and Culture uh, that was founded by James Davison Hunter. It's a graduate institute attached to the university of virginia and so uh, crawford's book uh, is this most recent one the world beyond your head i think the title says a whole lot and it has to do with um, tension amongst other things so the reason that um tension is important as a as a particularly christian idea is uh, one of the sort of the long lost disciplines uh, in earlier ages of Christianity 
was the notion that we should pay attention to what we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, the reason I say that is the Latin root of our English word attention is tenere, which means to stretch or to make tense. So attention is making things tense or tension and it's external objects that often provide an attachment point for the mind. They pull us out of ourselves, which creates tension. And so tension is inherently good because it gets you in the world beyond your head. And mm. so we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, first of all, there's a reason why uh, tension is, uh, is important, which probably raises a few questions in your head before we go any further. <laughs> of, of questions around what you just said you mean yeah well I, I think i'm i'm seeing a little bit where crawford's going here just the the notion that you said tension kind of pulls you beyond yourself and mm -hmm. uh thinking towards the natural is is to get you to see from the perspective of something else or someone else that's right yeah and you think about a rubber band if you pull right. it you create tension but uh mm -hmm. it's trying to pull you now, uh, no surprise, Crawford is not a big fan of the Enlightenment. In fact, he sees that's the uh, crisis or that's the huge problem over the last several hundred years because Descartes famously intoned, I think, therefore, therefore I am, yeah. which, which means what? Translated as what? I'm a head on a stick or a brain on a stick. Is that where you're going? Well, I don't have to get in the world beyond my head. Everything is inside my head. Oh, interesting. There's, so, yes. There's that word we don't like, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it think, is interesting. Therefore, I am. An, okay. In other words, the the world, so to speak, is, is in my head, I think. Therefore, I am. Yes. What defines a human being for him is entirely inside your head. This is mm -hmm. where the phrase figure it out originates hmm. in other words hmm i used to meet with a young man and i noticed that one time i finally pointed out i said do you know the number of times you say i'm gonna go figure that out <laughs> and what that meant was i mean he was a lovely guy and loved the lord and he's he's basically saying i'm gonna get along with jesus and figure it out right um now, there's a lot of value in getting along with Jesus. But somehow Jesus never mentioned to him, what are you doing in here? Where's the wisdom of many counselors? It's what, uh, you know, the um, Wesley, who we love so much for his hymns, but uh, many of them he wrote, they're famous, um, standing on the galley of his slave ship. And for some reason, as he is along with God, God never bothered to speak to him about the evils of the slave trade. And uh, so if you don't get in the world behind your, beyond your head, he was never, Wesley, until late in life, was never had that tension as he stood and wrote hymns marveling at the glory of God and the splendor of the heavens and the stars above him while below upwards of 40% of his, quote, human cargo would perish. He didn't get beyond his head. 
Now, this is important because um, Crawford will get into a lot of the um, brain science on this. And it's no news here, but uh, it's well known that um, you can only pay attention consciously to between three and five uh, things at any moment in time. There are only three to five things that are in play at any one time. It's called working memory, and the rest is unconscious. Now, you would have to have cultivated habits so that you consciously are having the, the most beneficial three to five things pulling on you. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. it, it does. It certainly does. The, yeah. I mean, the running joke when I used to visit my snowbird parents was uh, the two things that pulled on them because they immediately asked was, uh, uh, what's the weather going to be like? And uh, what's the price of gas? <laughs> Now those things, I understand they're on fixed income on one, and but I think well, first of all, if you move because of the weather, we have to admit you're sort of a shallow person. Second, <laughs> oh boy, well, it just we just have to. But first of all, yeah, well, we'll leave it at that. If we lose one of our listeners, we lose them. <laughs> um, and then my, my mom, who's still alive, ninety-three, is sort of what's the price of gas there? She goes, I'd always say. I don't know, mom. I just have to pay it. <laughs> I can't go to the pump and negotiate. <laughs> so I really don't pay much attention anymore. <laughs> Rumor has it Sam's and Costco has the best price. So that's where I go. Gas is gas. <laughs> but, you know, my mom is like, so many are just not, you know, what we're talking about here just was, it never hit the radar scope. So you never pay attention to what you, you never. Uh, develop disciplines to pay attention to what you pay attention to. And if you don't, your working memory will uh, be uh, thinned out or narrowed or shallowed, is actually as Nicholas Carr talks about it. And I think that Nicholas Carr is helpful in this way. Uh, he and others have noted that all communication is a form of distraction, a form of interruption, rather. And so you don't know what someone typically is going to say. So uh, the word itself is an interruption. It's a pattern interruption. But you, when you sit down, for example, to read God, God's word, you'd actually have to be trying to pay attention to what it says for it to interrupt any preset patterns. And the problem is if you're constantly being interrupted, and by that I mean that the number one distraction machine out there right now is? I'm going to go with your phone. Your phone. And um, Crawford will show you how, well, we'll put it in the best way. Uh, people do not appreciate how that is such a distraction machine that you don't pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Now he couples that with a brilliant section of the book. I just found it fascinating how the last uh, 
40, 50, 60 years has been a uh, sort of smoothing of the rough edges of reality. You know, I don't know if you've read that much of T.S. Eliot, but he has a famous quote, humankind cannot bear very much reality. <laughs> and uh, well, I don't yeah. know what I think. it's from uh, the Four Quartets. What was the the smoothing of the rough edges of reality? Well, the rough edges of reality would be, um, uh, well, the few number of people that uh, I know that A, pay much attention anymore to Ukraine, the uh, war. Second, mm -hmm. the actual slaughter that is going on or the uh, abduction of uh, Ukrainian children by Russian soldiers. They're, they disappear into the Soviet Union, even though it's not called that anymore. And um, this, is, this is fascinating in this regard. So World War I is considered uh, the Great and Holy War. It was called by uh, uh, Jenkins, the church historian. And it's because all sides thought they were fighting for God. It's the last war in which all sides claimed God was on their side. I know I'm simplifying, but I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. In fact, uh, before the psalm, the last great <clears throat> thrust by the, the Germans named uh, that operation Michael, after the archangel, who uh, comes to uh, make all things right. And of course, as you know, that turned into a massive slaughter and it was it was the beginning of the end for the German army. Now, rightly so, a lot of soldiers um, come home and don't want to talk about what they saw. But uh, Tolkien and Lewis did. Tolkien recalls being in a trench. And uh, even though it, it's knee-deep in mud and water, he hears the crunch, crunch, because they're walking on human bodies that are just below the surface. Hmm. Every once in a while, a face or a head might pop out of a dead soldier. The horror. And that shapes the Lord of the Rings. Lewis in the same way. And that hideous strength but Eliot said, um, most of us can't stand too much reality. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Intentions are reality. So I find um, in my own small world, there's the tension, for example, of uh, how can bread and wine also be flesh and blood simultaneously? which two-thirds of the worldwide church still affirms. But I live in a world, I live in a part of the world, America, United States, where a whole bunch of my friends uh, would just find that to be, uh, where's that in the Bible? Sure. And so that's a call to tension because uh, the rationalist West says, uh, well, that can't be. It simply doesn't happen. It can't be two things at the same time.
which then you have the same tension as well actually we believe in one god simultaneously three persons what mm-hmm. now see you can understand why if you're in the islamic world that's blasphemy that makes no sense mm-hmm. but again the islamic world is very much ruled by uh, they were the great libraries of alexandria and the rest resurrected greek thought and greek thought that's just not rational um and so the idea of mystery um mystery be a good word uh is it's a tension that very few western christians are comfortable with yeah sure what you know and and holding tension with what you don't and not ignoring that or that's right pretending doesn't exist so uh, the whole point in, in the world beyond your head which is very similar to many 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 other books out there chief of which would be uh ian mcgillchrist's latest work the matter with things our brains our delusions and the unmaking of the world we'll give the guy credit for cutting the chase scene right there in the subtitle <laughs> uh and the the reason that well here's a, here's another tension I probably count on one hand the number of people who ever make their way through this book. Now they'll read all sorts of books. I mean, America, according to what I read, they, they read more books than ever. I just don't think they read particularly helpful books. Hmm. They read a lot of what's called escapist books, and Crawford will pick that up. That the entertainment, which means to hold, think about that. It's to hold your attention, which should create in your mind tensions instead entertainment has become more rightly escapism and escapism is you might even touch on something from history but it's been uh, uh, smoothed over it's been um, it just it doesn't it doesn't touch on it doesn't depict reality would be a good way to put it because we cannot stand too much reality now we should be able to i hold i should i hold we should be able to but um we our, our pathways have been shallowed we don't pay attention to what we pay attention to and what we mostly pay attention to are sound bites quick shorts uh, superficial takes on reality and be grand and create what are called superficial neural pathways. And uh, then you can actually become addicted to those pathways. Uh, Crawford has great lengthy uh, stretch in here about how the gambling industry works that way. But uh, gambling really is based upon one general principle that rather than go through all the tensions of having to actually uh, work your butt off or work hard or be industrious uh, with one pull of a lever, you don't have levers anymore, apparently, uh, you're rich. Yeah. That takes all the tension out. That's, uh, wow. <laughs> you're opening Pandora's box for me here. One of the one of the things I'd like to circle back to, as you mentioned, so if if, if we ought to be 
mindful of what we give attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> all roads lead back to solitude. So I'm guessing uh, silence and solitude is a good practice for that to, to observe what what things are coming to mind, maybe for what we give attention to. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm also assuming there are, there's, there's a habit. I think you mentioned a practice, um, or habits of, of giving attention to the right things. So there's, there's obviously got to be some ability to choose what not to give attention to. Yes, that's great. Yeah. How how do you develop that? Yeah. Because I, I like our Tristan Harris. I'm, I get his stuff on the Humane Project. Yeah. Um, humane Technology, rather. He's the, and he's he, the former Google. Google yeah. yeah. He makes a simple point. He goes, um, the brain has not evolved. Now, you know, just take for granted where he comes from. <clears throat> but he says the brain, brain hasn't evolved over the last million years. The attention span hasn't, the, the width of the attention span hasn't changed. What's changed is this deluge of information most of which is worthless Mm. but it's not benign it shallows out your pathways so crawford's solution now crawford's not a believer um so he's not going to mention disciplines but um, he puts it this way in his book, quite simply, the experience of attending to something isn't easily made sense of within the enlightenment picture, period. It just doesn't make sense with it. Why? Because I can figure it out. I can figure out what I'm paying attention to. I can figure out um, what's going on in ukraine i can figure out what's going on um and and the fact of the matter is you can't he would say you have to investigate some something before the enlightenment Hmm. something you said there was interesting uh i think in the right use of the word intriguing um <laughs> that, that was is, is Crawford implying giving attention to something is is there's an embodied approach to giving attention yeah. to something and yeah. can you can you contrast that with what we may typically think uh, for example I'm naturally my, my inclination is to think giving attention to something is sitting down and thinking about something there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the embodied uh giving attention to something look like which is what he says uh he he says you know the the enlightenment epistemology epistemology is how we know what we know is based on the assumption that now that's important because i it's this matches mcgilchrist that representation is the fundamental process by which we apprehend the world representation re-presentation so let me parse this out quickly to get to the answer to your question. McGillchrist makes the point that the only the right hemisphere has direct access to the world beyond your brain. All the nerve endings in your body dump into the right hemisphere. So the world, this is an important 
language I think he uses, it presents itself to us. So a, a child can read in books about uh, flames burn. That's not till a child puts a hand near the fire that the brain is shocked into reality. The left hemisphere then gets is good at representation. It takes experience and interprets it. The Enlightenment assumes that representation is the fundamental process by which we apprehend the world and reality, and it's not. Hmm. But the Enlightenment process happens. It assumes it happens entirely within the bounds of the skull. And our brains are vats. And we pour our stuff in and figure it out. It's interesting that the word education comes from the Latin root, means to lead out. To be educated is to be led out of yourself. <laughs> wow. And so paying attention to what we pay attention to is doesn't diminish books, but it asks, it causes you to pay attention to what books you read. Because if you're being led out into what Eliot would say, a view of reality that doesn't endure, cannot endure much reality, it gilds the lily, or just to touch lightly on the political realm, most of the books out there on politics are not about politics. They are politicized crap. They uh, basically are, uh, as Bernard Lewis once did in a great article in The Atlantic, I'm right, you're wrong, go to hell. <laughs> well, that's not, um, that's going to shallow out your pathways right there. So, uh, so because of this, the most fundamental way of knowing something, epistemology is called knowing, is uh, Adam knew Eve. It's what you put your hands to is the truest knowing. And so if you want to, you know, I've said it before, but I gave great sermons. Apparently I was told I gave great sermons on servanthood when I was pastor. And then where Kathy and I were running a leadership center and we were short staffed and I'm serving wine to some young punk and he goes hey waiter more wine <laughs> i want to go well go to hell you little thing i, I got my and i go well my, see my serving here <laughs> what a servant and uh the same with the pop-up hander during covid and that week of a bitter cold saturday morning at 5 30 or 6 a.m getting ready for a seven hour deal and i sit there and go i don't want to do this <laughs> you're a hell of a servant, dude. So pay attention to what you pay attention to. What it does in some respects, I think is, um, um, I think it's why when you see the Lord in his temple, it says our Lord is in, the te in his temple. Therefore, let your words be few. Why? Because if you actually feel the presence of the Lord, you're reticent to say, oh, I know about that. 
Uh, uh, <laughs> whoops. I don't know much about that. I don't know much about that. So the, what I'm, what's coming to mind here for me is is this idea if, if giving attention is more than simply thinking about something. Yeah. And it's it's almost as if, you know, giving attention is, is actually doing or being involved in something. Um, if you're going to not only pay attention to what you give attention to, but also if, if you're going to, uh, I guess, yeah, give attention to fewer things, then that actually means or translates to doing fewer things. Is that is that a fair translation? It can be, yeah. It can be. Uh, but I'm going to add one more layer to it. It's okay with you. Of course. <laughs> See, it's getting into complexity, so we just go, <laughs> I'm lost. <laughs> going deep here. Not sure so the shallow when, brain can keep up here, Mike. Yeah. So wouldn't you know it, um, Crawford pulls on Michael Polanyi, and Michael Polanyi again, I understand most people go, who's that? I haven't read him again. I don't, if you pay attention to what you pay attention to, you at least become familiar with him. The reason why is that Polanyi um, started out as a scientist, but then he began to recognize it's not really science, it's scientism, because he saw the experiments that were being done in the Soviet Union and the rest and said, where's the moral compass? And he began to realize that the science is a Latin word for knowledge, and as a Jew, he ended up back in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve. And he found himself uh, leaving science for philosophy, and he wrote um, many fine books on this subject. Hmm. But Polanyi also noted that, this fits the brain science, if, if we're designed by God, just give, make this a given for just a moment, suspend whatever your judgment is on it. But if God so designed a human brain to actually depict faith and works that fits the pattern because faith is is a faithful reception it is by by grace through faith it is the reception of what god brings and then the interpreting and working it out and so the reception for adam is waking up and Eve is presented, and in his left, as they touch and feel their way along and know one another, it comes off as beautiful, good, and true. Having said all that, the point is, it was actually presented by someone else beyond your head. And so Michael Polanyi added, to learn education is to learn by example. It's to submit to authority. You follow your master because you trust his manner of doing things, even when you cannot analyze and account in detail for its effectiveness. But he points out Descartes said this would be irrational. You must reject and stay within your own thoughts. It values autonomy, which is the word law unto myself, and I'll figure this out completely on my own. Or, in the case of the Reformation, uh, yeah, um, interpretation became a matter of an individual's authority. I'll go, all I need is a Bible, Holy Spirit, 
set of eyeballs and a brain, and I'll read it. But again, notice that what happened. The living word of God became viewed as a text. If you pay attention to what you pay attention to, you say, I mean, would you ever talk to your wife that way? Would I talk to Kathy that way? I'm sorry, I wasn't hearing your text. We actually only text. communicate via letter form. <laughs> I said, text. I mean, Kathy would say, I'm talking to you, Mike. Oh, I'm, uh, let me review the text of what you said. That's called uh, dehumanizing it. That's called making an abstraction. These are all gifts, you want to call it, of the enlightenment. We don't pay attention to what we pay attention to. And so prior to the enlightenment and the reformation, and still held by two-thirds of the worldwide church, is interpretation of scripture is never a matter of going inside your own head and figuring it out, a matter of an individual. There is a magisterium, there is a tradition, there is accumulated wisdom of many counselors, there is this huge, thick cloud of witnesses that have been recorded that are not superior to scripture, they yield to scripture, but it's the idea that God delights in using secondary causes like people. And so the view was always that um, we start out as parrots. We parrot our master, as Jesus said. Here's how you pray, you disciples. You don't go off extemporaneously. Here's how you pray. Recite this. And then you become a pert and then you become a poet because, as, as Paul wrote, we are God's poetry. Uh, see, all that's been lost because if, you, if we still held to that path, um, we, would, um, we would have uh, literally um, what Jesus says, we'd have masters, and that's now become a bad word because it's been abused. I, I'm, I, I'm sorrowful that the abuse of a word negates the entire value of the word. It shouldn't mm. be that way. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says, you have masters, uh, now teachers, and the pupil, the apprentice, can one day be on par, but not by figuring it out on their own. So this is what what Crawford is getting in his book, the reason he feels the last 500 years have been the disaster, it's the same in McGilchrist. The last 500 years, he said, has been a slide into the territory of the left hemisphere where individuals so valuing don't pay attention to how autonomous they are, feel supremely confident that I can figure it all out in the representations of my left hemisphere. And, and actually apprehend reality, and you can't. And so you have to have like a rubber band, this tension of reality pulling you beyond your head. It doesn't negate your thinking, it doesn't negate your head, but it's pulling it. And examples abound about what you can do. I think this is why I've read before that uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis would take 
barefoot walks in the grass after a day of lecturing or what have you, just to have some tangible touch with the reality beyond his head. But uh, the disciplines work this way if you understand them and practice them properly, but also just what you read, because you only have a capacity for so much. And so the point is not to be a high volume reader, it's to be a high quality leader. And, and um, Crawford has a rather lengthy section on um, the the smoothing or the sweetening, I, not his language would be mine, the, but the sweetening of books on history or just just books. And so they don't have any of the rough edge of reality that uh, so shaped Tolkien's life in World War One, that there really is evil and it, it plays for keeps and it's ever, it can even be in here. That's why I think the Matrix got it right, that the first one, because Morpheus tells Neo, notice again, you have a master and a pupil, Morpheus, Neo, and Morpheus tells Neo, this is everywhere. It's even in your church. My wife and I have been talking a lot about this because it's actually was called uh, historically self-awareness or self-knowledge. Hmm. And uh, so uh, Crawford has a good little quote. He's a Bruce Springsteen fan, and apparently a lot of people are. And I like a lot of his stuff, but uh, Springsteen is reported to have said, self-knowledge is kind of a funny thing because the less of it you have, the more you think you have. Mm-hmm.